would be with you. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing, you have made it, and you forgive the sins of all who repent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Uh, we are getting into Jesus rises from the dead. He appears to the disciples in the upper room. 
And he, what does he do? The very first thing. He says, peace be with you. And then, he breathes on them. No, no, you're not supposed to do that this time. But, but he breathes on them. Like they're going around. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he says, if you forget the sins of any day are, if you retain the sins of any day are, what are we to make of this? Who can forgive sins of God alone? Um, but, but Jesus is saying, if you forgive the sins of any day are, because he's sending his church out as his body to be um, an agent of reconciliation in the world with the authority to forgive sins on his behalf. Um, this is an important thing. I really want to know. Um, first is that in, in the darkness of sin, one of the things that happens to our minds is do we see things as they really are? Or are we sort of confused? Or are we very confused? We're, we're confused. And one of the things that, that is one of the biggest problems with confusion of sin is that we don't see ourselves as we really are. We don't see ourselves honestly. And it's really hard to do. Um, so, uh, ancient Christians understood that it was, it was really their job, it was really the church's job to, to intervene at certain points and say, you have crossed the line. Uh, and, but you can hear a story. Um, in the ancient church, actually prior to the first century, it was really pretty much the norm that you got to, you got to be restored once. Because after that, it was just considered you are, you are basically God's got to do. <laughs> and, uh, but, but later, uh, one of the things that happened, primarily because people were so afraid of the kind of, um, the kind of penance that the Islamic Muslims who sin bad about, they just delayed that until the death. So many, many people in the first century said, no, I'm just going to wait. Time. The fathers are frustrated by this. They basically say, um, you know, don't, don't delay baptism just because you think, like, oh, then I want to do the Lord, all the fasting, I want to do the Lord. I just think baptism is dead, that'd be great. So I'll turn me a catheter in the fall, and basically I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll be on my deathbed, I'll be baptized, I'll be good. Uh, I love what John Chrysostom says about this. He says, you know, we increase the fish for this, like, everyone else, we get very busy. You might call us to your bedside. We want to be baptized. We might not make it. So, get baptized today. Why not? This Easter. It's that kind of rhetoric that's going on. What winds up being the kind of stasis of the legal church is this idea that, um, well, instead of that, why don't we just make it so that we can assign penance on an individual basis to the Bible? So, you understand, yes, okay. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need to reconcile. Uh, I can keep that to myself and just sort of float. Or I could unveil it before the church and sacrament and turn to see that um, and be reconciled in that way. Or I could be a, a notorious sinner and enter into that, that confession and absolution and be absolved sort of now. With whatever kind of sins they want. So um, a lot of this happened because in Ireland, uh, uh, St. Patrick was touring the countryside and, and uh, preaching. And, you know, the Irish are feisty. I know that's because I'm here. 
Um, and prior to this, also, if you were to be restored, you had to make a public confession to the church. So if you imagine this, oh, I'm terribly sorry. I stole your verse. And then it goes to the higher level. And so this, this meant that that kind of practice wasn't very good. It wasn't very good But it is said that St. Patrick introduced you to this idea of the fire of the Lord of the And it makes me doubt that. In Anglicanism, one of the things that we, that we have said is this is really important. Um, because in about the 11th and 12th centuries, in the West, so you had to make a confession every year, or you were going to hell. Now, Anglican said, you cannot require that because Scripture doesn't require it. But we can still say this is a really good thing you should do. Right? So later on in this morning, if you were to be there, so this morning, the exhortation, that's Anglican teaching on, on confession. What is it? Nobody has to, but if your burden is conscience, if your conscience is burdened, and you are uh, feeling the way. Wow. 
because it's not a feel for a better method of building a story. That's not what you do. Uh, it's simply a feel for how most people stories. Now, over the course of your discussion, the priest will often ask you questions, get clarity, because here's the reality. You go into Westminster, I'm just going to lay it all there. I'm going to get everything in there. You use you first. It's like, how? How many times? <laughs> like, and I'm, I hold people fire, and it's making a miserable way. But I do it because I want you to see first that nothing you are saying shocks God. It doesn't shock me. It doesn't shock me all the time. Like a marriage therapist would say, there are subjects which I talk about every day for eight hours a day. You can't shock me. I'll tell you, it's one of the most boring things that I have to do. It's the same. I'm not trying to dismiss it, but it's just like, this is boring. Um, I ask questions as well, so I clarity. Sometimes people are deeply hurt by things that are not your fault, and furthermore, not even seen. It's like, I, I had to put a boundary in place with it was really hard, and I, my, my conscience is stricken by it. And, you know, I might say that it was a bit harsh. But I might also say, good for you. And you're like, what? <laughs> you, know, it's, you did something good. You did something really right. You know, that's not simple. God doesn't judge us for setting boundaries. Okay? And, we just, and I just lay it all out. It'd be really helpful, isn't it, to hear, like, oh, the thing that my conscience is grieved by actually isn't when someone objected who's not tied up and involved baggage can actually talk to you and say, Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, now, of course, I give you bad advice, that's on my head. That's a little but I'll just say, This is really important. Um, the other thing that, that is awful, in addition to giving enough clarity, is that there can be some good advice, either good advice. Um, such as, you know, I keep doing the same thing over and over I'm not sure why. Sometimes I diagnose it, sometimes it's just like, well, have you noticed my It's usually this time. So, what if you, like, turned your phone off from, I don't know, this might sound crazy, but 8 p.m. to 7 a.m.? I do that. It's supposed to be, and uh, 
I will say this too. Anglicanism never had this kind of quick and easy practice of worship. You never had it where it's just like, okay, do this, do that, do this, get out. Like, you didn't do it. It was always a pastoral practice. It was always like, you need to And the, in the prayer book, which allow for excommunication. Uh, here, right there, here the block. And the reason for that is simple that um, we are we are a tradition that believes firmly that communion is not, and the Eucharist are not just sort of symbols that are meant to teach us. Like, if that was it, then all of us need to see. They're actually to convey to you. The presence of Jesus Christ and, and His grace. If you come to the Sabbath with the presumption of what I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, I don't need, I don't need grace. Paul would be like, you're going to eat and drink condemnation. You're not discerning the body. People are going to sit in the ancient church. Paul answers the question why he didn't say it. Because you're a You were a um, So is it serious? Yes. Um, what to be done about it? What should be done about it? Well, first is that you, know, you have to examine yourself. But the other is you might not even be able to do that. Like, someone might not come to you and say, look, well, and which, which is usually the right? <laughs> it's, what you've done is scandalous, and what you've done is, is, uh, is, is, is causing others to fall. Um, and uh, God will hurt you that. Um, but usually, and this is the thing that really should do, usually it's in the spirit of it's often grace and the joy of being. Let's talk about that. It's never in the Never. Um, however, there have been times when people continually resist and they continually are belligerent, right? And I just, I want to just call them belligerent. And those people will not say, you might say, oh, gosh, that's, this is, we live in a voluntary country, right? You don't have to go to a church that you don't like being a part of. Okay? Not a nice deal. But I want to tell you a story because I think the story is really different with power. I have a friend who's not only a senior priest, but he was a Methodist pastor before that. And when he was a Methodist pastor, he had this, uh, this couple in his church. And the, uh, the husband had been grievously sinning. He was, uh, he was committing adultery and getting, 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 getting off on time. And she was trapped. She couldn't be if she didn't. He had controlled her life. So this woman came to this pastor in tears. I don't know what to do. I've known about this for a long time. I don't want to do a trap. Errors very angry. And so this pastor calls me into this guy and says, Here's the deal. Is it true? Is it true? Uh, are you going to stop? No. 
Well, then you won't be sleeping with me someday, or any someday until you repent. And you need to repent before your wife. I need to be there when happens. <laughs> um, and you know, she, the reality is she, she already had to put out all the So this guy says, yes sir, I'll be there. And so this, this friend who looked at him said, if you show up and you really want to do it, I will take that as a sign of your repentance. Something else right Say, what about, what about your status as a mother? 
accept when I'm putting on for the school of individuals. So the way you know whether I'm at the end of that movement is the most part. For the most part, you can just think of what's going on. The other thing I'd say to you is, this may be a shock to you, but people lie in the profession. Sometimes they put lie. They just think like telling stories. And they think on the suit. Should people go to jail and prison for the rest of their lives because of that? Not at all. Never, because you can lie. Um, also, if someone is building a case on, oh, the murderer confessed, or this person confessed, in a church to a priest, like, and the entire case goes on that bad material evidence or anything else, it's a really unstable case. So there you go. Um, I'm actually at a point now where I, I'll share this with you publicly. I mentioned that. One of the reasons is that, that uh, in order to register to vote, you have to be eligible to be a juror. I can't say that on the record. It is a case. Now, other priests are on the list, but I'm just convinced that uh, for me, that I need to be a person who is fundamentally oriented towards absolution of rules. And, and that's not to say that it's not the case for you, it's just to say, if that's the case for you as well, it's just so that's, that's the goal that I have. Um, in order to maintain that goal uh, with integrity so that you can trust that I'm not going to go you know, and, and tell anybody or that I'm, I'm not going to seek justice on your behalf or seek justice against you. Um, that's not what Why? Because it's all for the gospel, it's not for judgments. It's mercy. Grace. So much really important to me and it's become more important to hear. Um, but, but that's the reason. <clears throat> Alright, um, I, will, I will tell you as well, uh, many of you will want to go to parts of the Indian Union. Uh, not all of the clergy are held to that standard of religious, so you should check. <laughs> if that's the standard you want, then ask me. Most of the time I say, oh, I'm not going to have it. But some will say, no, no, no. And because we're teaching on silence, the, the teaching of evangelism is that, that that form bears throughout time and it's not judged in scripture. The, the, the rules are not made clear in scripture, that there is freedom in that. Um, but normally, I would say, normally, almost all the time, especially if it's moderate, so you just have to be careful. Um, I would also say, like, not all of you can be judged. Important. I would just say all the priests and pressures do, and you do it because uh, well, because we're sinners. Uh, but also because we want to be able to and you can't do that unless you're really actively engaged in forgiveness. Let's pray the prayer for this mission before we come. Oh Jesus, God the Son, in your incarnation you manifested your part of the mission of the world. Help me so to know and practice your presence that I may always live for your glory and spread your name, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, we're on to Article 3. We've been at this for a long time, and we're just getting into Article 3. Article 3 concerns our Holy Spirit, which is in the Apostles' Creed, one line of the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's sufficient. Uh, what we do in the Catechism is we work off of the Nicene Creed here, 
just because there's a great deal more material on this. And the reason is a historic question. Um, you may know, or you should know, that the, the original Nicene Creed uh, included a clause on the Holy Spirit, don't get you believe in the Holy Spirit, which is just like that to what they today. In the year 381 of the Council of Constantinople, there were a group of bishops who were from Macedonia called the Nottomonians, and they were those who fought against the church's teaching of the Holy Spirit as divine. In fact, they were thrown out of Council of Constantinople and sent home. Uh, uh, and anathematized, uh, and so the Niceno Constantinopolitan Creed is that Creed that we've been talking about from 381. And it has all of the teaching on the Holy Spirit. Now, lest that strike you as just sort of a strange bit of song, I want to make it really clear that, um, that the church has always taught Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is. It is not just to read the teachings of the Holy Spirit. So let me clear that up. First thing, who is the Holy Spirit? God the Holy Spirit is the third person, the one being of the Holy Trinity, fully and co-eternal with God, honoring God the Son, and equally worthy of our honor and worship. So one of the things that is contested in, um, in the fourth century is this question of should the Holy Spirit be worshipped? We could say, well, the Holy Spirit is divine, but ought not be worshipped, something like that. And what the church teaches is that the Holy Spirit is equally worthy of our work, of our honor and worship. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy and is not a lesser member or a second class member of the Holy Spirit. In the ancient church, there were hymns to the Holy Spirit that were hymns of praise and adoration of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of just like the most foreign thing to do of all things. Like, not even a Pentecostalist like worship the Holy Spirit. Well, they darn all should. <laughs> Let me just say that. <laughs> because Christians worship the Holy Spirit. What do we do? We worship the Holy Spirit. We pray for the Holy Spirit. We do all those things. Um, and you might say, God, I've never done that. You want to talk? <laughs> Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. And, uh, and so I'm encouraging that uh, just as we go through this. Have I been praying to the Holy Spirit? Have I been praying? Have I been worshiping the Holy Spirit? And you might say, How do we do that? Do we, do we ever do that in church? Yes, we do a lot. Don't go negative test this question. Uh, so the in the liturgy, it's, it's always a question. Um, very good choice. Right in one prayer. If we start one prayer, this. O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall claim the praise. God makes me to say, so Lord, the case of God, and then the wonderful, old, old, oldest dirt prayer in the church, the Lord God, the Lord be the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord is the Holy Spirit. That's worship. You're worshiping the Holy Spirit. So, um, well, um, we look at, let me just, let me just tell you, 
difference between the created order and God. Absolutely. But that's 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 not the basis of an idea of worship. It's this idea of, of holiness, right? That there are holy and not holy. Or there, there is temple and not temple. There is where God dwells and where God is right? <laughs> And those are kind of wild categories, right? I think, I think what's really helped me is this understanding that we actually have had a sacrifice of the universe. And that um, if anything, you just, you just imagine it's a, it's a veil to the soul of us. Things visible and things invisible, things seen and things unseen. And it's that that I would really think about when I say, where is heaven? Beyond it. So where is it? Unseen. Where God is. I mean, this is the reason. What is God? Who is God? God is a spirit. What is spirit? He's not visible by nature. Can you see God in his essence? No. <laughs> there, there are some, you know, some theologians who basically say you can actually never see God in his essence. You can, you can get close, <laughs> closer, closer, closer. But it's something that God well, is invisible, right? Um, and those who would those who would meet God must meet Him in the invisible, right? As well as the visible. How do we meet God in the visible? Well, the apostles met Him in the incarnation. Witnesses who met Him as one God. How do we meet the Eucharist? The Eucharist and So this is saying the Eucharist worship is a giant thing. God is a spirit. We have to worship in spirit and in truth. That's how we worship. Um, but I think I think what I want to sort of dismantle is this erroneous idea that we worship God who's just way out there somewhere. We're just sort of reaching out. And you know, God's probably way out there. Way up there. Um, no. Christians actually believe that what we do is we enter into the very presence of God. Um, this is why we reserve the sacrament in the church. So that, that candle that's burning bread, that's set right over the tabernacle of the first Why? Holy place. It's a holy place. Actually, Ancient Christians called their churches temples. You know why? Christ the How? In the Eucharist and in the Catholic body. This is so important. There is such thing as holy. That's why. Um, what makes all this possible? What, 
What makes the church the church? Let's just ask that. What is the church? I'm doing this. I'm just going to set the cat down. We're going to do real cat okay? <laughs> what is the church? The church is the body of Christ. Is the body of Christ alive or dead? What is the means by which the body of Christ is alive? Spirit. The spirit. How is the church? How is the church made alive in the New Testament? Damn Pentecost! Well, listen, they're all together in one place. They're kind of freaked out, right? They hold up. They're worried. They're afraid. And then what happens? Yeah, yeah. The Holy Spirit descended upon them. And they speak. They're driven out of that room. And it's there. Here's the other thing. What do living organisms do? How do you know a living organism from dead? Breath. They eat. Right? What else? They increase, they multiply, right? They reproduce. Um, if you look at look at growth and say, what is that thing not doing that it should be doing? Why isn't it? And what makes it dead? And the other thing alive. Well, that's not reproducing anytime soon. Ever. It's not breathing and it input for food. Okay. Oh, great. There you go. That's the body of Christ, this living organism. Alive. Right? Why? It has a spirit. It has the spirit of God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the temple of God. Jesus says, I will destroy this body and raise it up in three days. Sorry, the temple. What's, what's the temple? His body. He's speaking of his resurrected body, but also of the body of the church. The body breathes. breathes the Holy Spirit. What does the body also do? Body eats. Why? To be nourished. Why? Stay alive. Lay down. It's good. But you know, if I stopped eating, I would be in a world where everything. I'd also be just like not able to do a lot of things. I eat so that I can serve my family, so that I can perpetuate their lives, so that I can serve you. The church is nourished for additional lives by being by being nourished by God Himself. Why are we gathering here? To receive heaping amounts of the Lord's grace so that Read John 6, okay? <laughs> and, and, then, and then look at it. Why? Why is this done? For the life of God. So, so the, when you get the time of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about, um, we're talking about the very breath of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not normal. It's not like, it's not like our, our bodily. This is, this is to say, um, supernatural. Well, 
and consider it for Maybe it was useless. Was Adam is a pile of dirt on the earth. Yes? And how does God make it alive? He breathes into the nostrils of this dirt sculpture that he makes. What's he breathing in? The spirit. It's not this kind of like the one supernatural world. It's not the spirit. He breathes into the, his spirit, his breath. And it says, Adam became a living being. And if you take that simply to mean, oh, you just became a natural living being, like not spiritual, that's the fact that I'll tell you So you have to ask the question, what does it mean to be alive? Should I have heartbeat? Brainwaves? Is that it? Be alive before God means that we are participating in God Himself. That's that's what the life of the Spirit calls to us. It's also why it's very important that we both um, live in the Holy Spirit and also worship the Spirit, honor the Spirit. So it's one question. What's that? What's that? Good. One more question. <laughs> what principal names does the New Testament give? Spirit. Jesus' name is the Holy Spirit, Paraclete, one alongside, which signifies comforter, guide, counselor, advocate, and helper. Other scriptures of the Holy Spirit are Spirit of God, Spirit of your Father, Spirit of Christ, and Spirit of your Spirit. These are just the New Testament names that are given um, to the Holy Spirit. This first one is really great Paraclete, um, one who is alongside. Um, have you ever needed an advocate? You have always needed an advocate, okay? <laughs> um, but I will never forget. Um, I'll just tell you this story. Um, it's really quick. Uh, once in my life, I was accused of, of a crime. Um, I didn't do it. It wasn't, you know, I was involved in it. I didn't, I didn't do anything to do that's not good. I wound up meeting, actually, a criminal defense attorney. So strange. Ah. But I needed that. So a lawyer friend said, no, I can't take this from you. Like, we'll do that. We'll just we'll do that. Um, instead of trying to buy the um, But, you know, the opportunity for Danny really high for me. Really high. Um, because, yeah, it could have gone really bad. Really fast. Because, you know, the police don't have, because they're trying to protect um, this kind of um, innocent soldier in the military. Like, if you are in any way involved in a crime, right, as someone who's not just a bystander witness, right, um, you're going to be called a suspect. That's what is in the paperwork. So, here's what I need. I needed an advocate. I needed someone to say to the authorities, what I had no idea how to say for myself. I needed someone to know who to call in the offices to get things figured out. I needed someone to kind of take out all these kinds of questions. And at the end of the day, this guy was magnificent. He said, No, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. And I know this is really hard. And he said, um, I made a couple calls and I'll be about it. Within a day, he called me and said, No. 
it's all over. <laughs> they took your name off everything. It's all, it's all done. You're good. And I was like, oh, thanks be to God. Did I know how to so the Holy Spirit is trying to as a caregiver, an advocate, one who comes alongside of you, um, one who is invested in your in God's promise for you. And what we need to teach is that the Holy Spirit is loving you. Um, my great mentor here was a who was a theologian, really taught loved teaching little kids. He would be very patient with you. He'd say, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is in And he would, he would actually turn and see it. That's, I don't want to say Jesus is not in your way. I'm not going to say that. But I want to say is there's good news in saying the Holy Spirit is in Because if the Holy Spirit is in most of you, you're a Christian. That's what it means. You are one. Uh, in the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ dwells. You are a member of his body. And, by the way, you are Christ to the world. When a Christian walks out of that door, you're in here. You are a member of Christ. So I love that Anglican um, uh, language or catechism. When I baptize, I'm a member of Christ. What does that mean? I sign with God in London. I wrote a check. Got put on the membership board? No. It means I am like a eye or a hand or a finger, or I'm a member of his body. That's the word. Okay? That's what Paul's talking about. Ye are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. So you can say, I am the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ, individually and individually. Um, how's that going on? Go to the So I really want you to see this. It's so key, it's so important. If you are not, uh, by nature, someone who uh, has thought of yourself as a Holy Spirit Christian and say, I hope that'll change. <laughs> because, because the reality of it is that uh, one need not be a Pentecostal, one need not pray in tongues, one need not be a charismatic in order to be a Holy Spirit Christian. Um, uh, so, we'll talk about that. I know some of you would be away, but.